and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host and nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I'll also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and it's not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Stephanie Gaskell. Steph is an accredited practicing dietitian, an advanced accredited sports dietitian. She has a diploma from the International Olympic Committee in Sports Nutrition, and she's currently undertaking a PhD at Monash University in Melbourne, where she is researching in the area of exercise-induced gastrointestinal syndrome. Steph is also a very accomplished endurance runner herself, and we'll talk about that in the podcast. But the main focus of today's podcast is fueling for exercise, and in particular, how to best fuel during an endurance event. So it's my pleasure to be chatting with Steph today. Hi, Steph. Welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. So Steph, you completed your undergraduate degree in nutrition and dietetics, and you've continued to add to your qualifications, including completing the International Olympic Committee Diploma in Sports Nutrition and some other things as well, I believe. And your special area of interest includes sports nutrition and gastrointestinal nutrition. You've worked in clinical practice for several years and you're currently undertaking a PhD at Monash University in Melbourne. So let's start with that. What is your PhD subject? Yeah, yep. Uh, so PhD subject, it's it's basically everything involved in, I guess, endurance running and gastrointestinal health. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so our first study was looking at the impact of um, running day versus night um, on the gastrointestinal um, system, so on function and integrity because yeah. um, we know that a lot of events, um, particularly in ultras, you know, they're either starting at midnight or we go through um, the night and anecdotally I was seeing a lot of individuals complain of symptoms at night. So okay, you know, was there a reason for that? Um, so, yeah, so that was part one. And then, um, and then uh, the next few um, studies we're doing is going to be looking at the impact of running um, duration and also running in different temperatures on gastrointestinal function. Oh, that must be really interesting. And, and I do want to come back to that um, subject, but I thought we'd better set the scene first before we, we dive into that. Yeah. Um, I wonder, though, just off the top of my head, if that will impact if your findings and the individual person as well will impact which races they choose because, mm. you know, it could if, if they work out, for example, that they don't perform so well in the heat, mm-hmm. 
um, then maybe they choose races in colder places or during winter. I don't know. So. Yeah, like typically what we then do is look at particular heat acclimation. Um, yeah, of course. Processes. So you can, you know, once we pick up things, um, we'll be looking at that and seeing if we can adapt that individual. But for sure there could be some people that just, you know, their body just can't thermoregulate like yeah. to the extent that they need. So, yeah, definitely, you know, or pace, things like that may need. Yeah. How did you actually decide on on those those topics? Talking with my supervisor um, and and you know and and his involvement as well. So Ricardo Costa has done a huge amount of work and is a gun in this area. So right. yeah, just learning from him. Um, and it's great that he was a he was a pro triathlete in his day. So it's good the team I work with. We all you know. Um, just you know, have been involved in endurance and are really yeah interested in what we're in what we're studying. So um, that, as well as just um, you know the experiences that I've had with yeah. um, with people that I work with, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, as I said, we'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like to have a quick chat about now is your running career. Mm -hmm. You have a pretty impressive running CV, I've got to say, and. Uh, I'll talk about some of your race highlights. But one thing I noticed is that in 2009-10, you trained at Iten in Kenya at Lorna Kiplagat's High Altitude Training Centre. So I'd love to hear something about that. Well, how long were you there for? Um, I was in Africa for about four months or so, um, but then in actual in Iten and at the training camp for about six weeks. And what was your daily schedule like when you were there? I was there. Uh, look, I really went over to just to experience how they train and then I also was very interested in their nutrition, obviously. Mm -hmm. studying yep. um, so we would tend to run three times a day. Um, so okay. we'd have, you know, early morning run, um, then in the Arvo another and then in the evening another. Um, so sometimes, you know, one of those runs would, you know, be either hill reps or, you know, some speed work. Um, and, I mean, I was – there was no real structure to, to my training as such because I was really just wanting to delve into whatever they dragged me into. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Did you notice any improvements in your running? Uh yeah, look, that's probably hard to say because obviously I then I I travelled for a year in that. So, um, however, like I um, I then trekked um, Kilimanjaro not mm -hmm. long after that and felt pretty good doing that. Um, so yeah, I was lucky enough. Like I was at altitude, I was lucky enough not to experience um, any altitude sickness. Yeah, um, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, and my body held up well. So. And you, you said just before about um, you were interested in their nutrition. Mm. So what kind of food did you eat there? Did you eat any local sort of food? or? Yeah, just definitely, yeah. Um, so um, a common staple they have, as you know, is ugali, um, yep. so maize. Um, so they, you know, they eat that like pretty much brekkie lunch and dinner um, with um, the high-altitude camp because they have, you know, people from – all over the world visiting so people that um come over that are training for the olympics and and those things so they vary up what meals they provide them so although the locals will just at times have the ugali playing by itself 
um, and bland, they'll serve it up to us with either, you know, legumes, lentils or some of the fresh um, like beef or um, all those types of things. So, yeah, so Ugali chai tea was, um, you know, really common um, and they have like there's a lot of sugar in their chai tea. So an yep. example would be like one cup could contain anywhere up to like 10 teaspoons of sugar so wow. you teeth, like when I went to visit people and they'd give you chai of course you'd want to accept that um and your teeth would just like sting just because of how much sugar was in there far um, out but that's a good way I guess they can get their energy in um yeah yeah and just yeah fresh fresh fruits I went into the kitchen I was involved in cooking with them I helped them discover some things that they had in their like little storeroom that they had no idea what it was or how to use it. Oh, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really fun. And when I was there after, you know, there are a few athletes there when I was there, but then they went. So it was actually just me for, for a good length of time. So that was really cool. Oh, that sounds amazing. What a great experience. Do you know, can anyone go or does it yeah. is it usually... No, right. anyone, anyone can go. Um, like I went a long time ago, so um, I don't know what sort of setup they have now, but definitely yeah. anyone can um, can go. Um, yeah, you've got these little tiny little rooms with, you know, nets and everything over, over you and they've got a gym. So, yeah, so we would do gym quite often. Um, they can spend a few hours in the gym. Um, and then they had a pool as well. So I did some pool sessions. I did some sauna sessions with Lorna herself. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was really, really cool. That sounds fantastic. And I think you'd probably meet some, some great people there because it's Mm -hmm. all people that love running, obviously. Yeah. Like I met a guy called Toby Tanza, who's written, um, lots of books, um, about, just how the Kenyans train. Like there's one book, I think it's called Train Hard, Win Easy. It's a mm-hmm. very well-known book. Um, and to- Toby just was a wealth of info and he was an incredible guy to meet. He um, He's also um, developed like Shoe for Africa where you, yeah, you, you um, provide shoes to, to kids in Africa. Um, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, so the reason he sort of developed that was he was running in Africa and he got um he basically got attacked um for one shoe like they beat him up and they took one of his shoes and that left him in a really bad way but you know cutting the story short he um he did good with that something positive from adversity Mm, that's good yeah your as I said before your racing highlights I'd just like to mention a couple in 2010, you won the Yu Yang's 50-kilometer race in Victoria and set a course record. In 2012, you completed the Trans Rockies, which is approximately, I think, 120 miles. That's 193 kilometers, which was a six-day stage race, and you came fifth overall in the mixed category. And in 2013, you were the first female in the 60-kilometre Tarawera Ultramarathon in New Zealand. And in that same year, you won my favourite trail race, the Urabilla. So congratulations. That's a, And there's more, but <laughs> we don't want to be here all day. So <laughs> can you give us a few highlights from any, any races you've done? Look, I've loved all of those races. Um, for me, I love the races that... Um, 
our skinny trails. Um, there's some rainforest or lots of vegetation um, where it's a mix. I don't tend to like just a fire track type of trail. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, the Trans Rockies was amazing for me. Um, yeah, just all the different <clears throat> um, terrains that we got to run through and doing it, you know, running with a, a partner um, for the whole time and um, the challenge of backing up each day. Uh, like my coach had said at the time, you know, after day three, the magic kind of wears off and I didn't believe him initially and then I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> something there. But, yeah, and just great meeting great people, you know, that was a fantastic experience because you finish the event, you then jump into the lake and then um, they cater like it's all gourmet food and then each night they show you the stages and they have, you know, like filming of, of the stages and stuff. So, and that was a highlight. You're a biller, of course. I love, um, I yeah. love the the people involved in it. So it's just great to see everyone you know. And um, it was where I would train a lot. Um, so yeah, and Rotorua, um, <clears throat> the race down there, that was great. Apart from like the last K or two where I twisted my ankle three times. Um, but yeah, a fantastic event there too. What is it then about the trails that keeps drawing you back? What do you love about running on the trails? trails yeah, um, it's just always different. It's out in nature. It's away from busyness like most people. Um, running is a stress relief for me. Um, yeah. For anything and just being able to challenge, you know, yourself. I mean, I love trail running. I love being out in nature, but also I think... You're not a slave to your pace and your watch because yes. it's the terrain varies so much that sometimes you might be walking up a steep hill or whatever. And so, I don't know, you can just let all that go, which I really like. Yep, yep. And get a, you know, get lost in the, in the scenery. And Yes. Anyway, the guts of our conversation today is going to be about fueling for an endurance event. Yep. And obviously... An athlete's diet is about a lot more than just the day of the event. And we can't really cover everything in a single podcast because, uh, well, you're doing a whole PhD on one area. So it just shows how much information is available. So what I'd like to do is briefly touch on some recommendations about what to eat immediately before um, and immediately after a race and then focus in a little bit more detail on fueling during an event or training session. As most uh, athletes know, both professional and amateurs, fueling for an event is a vital aspect of racing and training. And if you get it wrong, it can mean the difference between a DNF, did not finish, and a great race or training session. So Steph, before a race or training session, um, say something that's perhaps over two hours in duration, what would you recommend that they eat and drink? I guess to start with, it's going to depend on obviously each individual and the type yeah. of diet that they're following. So we we know that there's people that, you know, may be following a, a lower carbohydrate diet, a higher fat diet. Um, but in general, um, I would be recommending typically something that is, um, so I'm going to assume that someone is consuming carbohydrate in their diet, I would be recommending um, foods that are rich in, in carbohydrate, lower in um, fibre and bulk um, mm -hmm. and not too heavy on protein and fats. 
and then depending on the size of what they're consuming, that will then dictate how long before um, they need to eat that um, for their events. So, you know, there's definitely people that will just be really nervous and not able to usually stomach even anything um, or something very small. So for some people it might be something as simple as like a banana or a slice of toast and that then may just be like an hour before, you know, they do their event. But then for them, um, depending on their pace, then they may then consume, you know, more carbohydrate during um, during the event. Um, an example of something that if we're consuming it two to three hours before, um, again, that um, for us as dietitians, we'd work that out a bit more strategically. But as a simple example, it can be something as easy as some cereal. So, you know, whether it is really low in fiber, so something like, you know, cornflakes and a, a, a banana and a piece of toast, or some people, if they can stomach it, um, maybe they do prefer, you know, wheat bix and porridge and they just give the, themselves a little bit longer to, to digest that. So it's also dictated by someone's pace as well um, and yeah. their, gut, their gut tolerance. So um, as we always teach, you know, train the gut and practice it in training and, and you'll get to learn that. But uh, I guess the thing that the nutrient that I tend to look at is the carbohydrate because we know that that's the one that's generally going to be limited um, when when we're running pending again the duration and, and intensity. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it is quite a personal choice in terms of what you can tolerate and also um, I guess the time the training set or the race starts. So if something starts at 6 in the morning, yeah. you're probably not going to be eating at 3 a.m., are you? Well, some yeah. people might. Some but. people will, like I would have. Yeah. Um, but, again, it just depends on the seriousness yeah. of that. Of that. Yeah, yeah. You would have, but you're a real athlete. I probably wouldn't because <laughs> I'm, I'm an amateur. No. Um, so you mentioned before the focus on carbohydrate and as you say you know some people limit their carbs or they have different diets but I guess if we just sort of focus on someone who is eating a sort of a general diet carbohydrates have been given a bad rap but I think for most endurance athletes they're you know they are your friend and I guess it's important to understand why that is. So perhaps, Steph, you could explain to us in simple terms why carbohydrates are an important source of fuel for athletes. Yeah. Basically, we can only obviously store a certain amount of carbohydrate um, in our body, so it is a limited supply, whereas fat, you know, it doesn't matter how slim we are, we have a plentiful supply of fat. Um, when we exercise, um, you know, the two main fuels we do tend to burn are predominantly carbohydrate and fat. Um, and then depending on the intensity um, of, of our exercise kind of influences the proportion of, of what we burn. So lower intensity, you know, like a bit more fats than carbs. And then as our intensity increases, it's going to go more into carbs. And when our intensity increases, we're not getting as much oxygen in. And we need a fair bit of oxygen to be able to burn that fat. So um, carbs just tend to be the more, I guess, efficient type of fuel for us to to burn. Um, so we don't really need to top up on, on fats when we're exercising. The other thing is in my research um, and the area that I've 
work um, we actually find with endurance athletes, pending, you know, how, how much they're training, they actually already tend to be really good at burning fat. So, mm-hmm. you know, how people are trying to like teach their body to burn. Yeah. Yeah. Endurance athletes actually just simply because the duration that they're going out training, they're actually really already pretty decent at burning fat. So they've already got got that ability there. Um, also, what we've found in our research and for me in gut health is carbohydrate is actually protective um, to the gut. And so this is particularly important for people that are doing long duration events. We actually want that carbohydrate in there um, for, for helping protect the gut, helping encourage blood flow to, to the area. So I think another motivation for people is to not only see carbohydrate for actual a fuel purpose, mm-hmm. but it's actually really important for our um, our gut health. And we know in endurance sport, we um, we do get damage to an injury to the gut. So we're really wanting to try and minimise that level of injury. That's really interesting to know. Um, I was more focused on the fueling aspect. I wasn't really aware of the um, the gut health aspect. The other thing too that people need to understand, and you said it, Steph, is that at any time we are burning both carbohydrate and fat. It's just the, the proportion that varies um, depending on the intensity. And I guess the, you know, each person's a little bit different in terms of their metabolism. But in a long event, say over two hours or more, people do need to take on carbohydrate. So why do they need to do that? What what happens mm-hmm. to the carbohydrates? Basically, you're burning the carbohydrates from um, from your from your muscles. Um, so there's only a limited supply that you have there. So it it again will depend on each individual. But you know, if someone was really pushing themselves, it depends on fitness level as well. Um, you know, you typically hear, you know, how you hear people saying, oh, they've hit the wall, let's say in a yeah. marathon. Um, so that might be, for an elite runner, that could actually be within 60 minutes or so for them if they didn't fuel. For recreational, it could be like anywhere from potentially 90 minutes to two hours or more. So if we didn't fuel, like basically what would happen is we'd just deplete that supply of, of carbohydrate. We'd have to just lower our intensity. Um uh, because then, you know, we'd, we'd be burning primarily the, the fats. Um, so we need to supply what we say is an exogenous um, supply of carbohydrate. We need to top up our body yeah. um, with that carbohydrate. And the thing that a lot of people do, um, and like even, you know, I do it myself just stupidly, um, is um, we feel too late um, yeah. because, you know, we think like, because what happens when we take on board the carbohydrate, whether it be a gel, a lolly, or some food, um, we we feel good, um, and we feel good because it gives us that brain effect. But from a fuel perspective, again, it's kind of varied, but it could take anywhere from maybe forty-five to sixty minutes for that carbohydrate actually to get to the muscles and to be burned as fuel. So I always say to people, you're much better to um, taking things earlier and then back it off um, later. I totally agree. I, I think when I'm doing a long race like the Eurobilla, I I do it by my watch because you never actually feel like it. You think, yep. oh, I'm still feeling good. I don't need a gel or whatever you're taking. Yep. But you actually do have to get it on, mm-hmm. you know, into you before um, to give it time to metabolize and, and, as you say, get to your muscles. So in terms of 
fueling during the event, mm. there are several different options. Uh, quite a popular one in the endurance world are sports gels. Mm. Um, and one of the things about them is they're often um, comprised of a mixed source of carbohydrates, so glucose and fructose. So why is that? What's the reason for that? So the reason is um, basically with the carbs and different carb types is um, we process them differently. Um, and so we kind of, we think that um, we can only process, you know, carb, um, glucose and maltodextrin. So the glucose-based carbs at a particular rate. So we think there might be a ceiling of about 60 to 70 grams of that per Per hour. Um, so if you're an individual and we're looking to get in more than that per hour, then we need another supply of carbohydrates or a different carbohydrate type. Um, and fructose uses a different type of transport mm. mechanism in our gut. Um, so then we're able to potentially, um, you know, absorb and oxidize more carbohydrate. And the thought is that if we can burn through more carbohydrate, that potentially can lead to um, better performance because we'll be processing more energy. It's still a bit questionable, um, actually, in in running, just because we might be able to absorb it. Can we oxidize it all? Um, and how well is that tolerated by a runner? A lot of the research um, has been done in cyclists um, who we know don't experience um, the gut discomfort mm. as much as what we do, and there could be, you know some differences there so but again as we always teach people is um you know we need to train the gut anyway it's going to be really dependent again on you know the the individual and what their their goals are but that's the reason the gels have those different carbohydrate types and that's the then the reason is why some gels will taste a bit sweeter um than than other gels because maltodextrin is generally you know not something you can taste uh, which is is great from a flavor yeah perspective whereas fructose as you know is um very sweet very sweet i read an article in runner's world that was quite interesting and it was about some recent research saying that found that some marathon runners could eat 120 grams of carbohydrate an hour and that um, had lowered their training stress and led to less muscle damage during the event. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because, as you said, I thought there was a ceiling to how much you could absorb. Yeah. Anyway, so I had a bit more of a look and as with, you know, everything, it probably wouldn't apply to the general population because it with, was with elite male ultra-endurance athletes mm -hmm. during a mountain marathon that performed all this specific gut training before. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite interesting, but um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's probably the way ahead for the average punter. I'm not sure. And that's, yeah, that's the thing is it's, it's um, it is, it's dependent on the fitness level, the trainability, and also you, the intensity. Like if we think of um, ultra endurance events are typically around this kind of maybe 60% or so. And obviously there'll be surges. Um, and then when you look at like your marathon, um, obviously the intensity can, can increase. And then the difference again, then there is the duration. So shorter. So when you look at GI issues, um, percentage of people having issues and symptoms, gut, um, discomfort 
is about 10% or so in marathon runners. When you look at ultra endurance, it goes consistently with severe symptoms, 60% or more. And then in, in just like a, a 160 or 100K event, very easily 80 to 90% of those participants will experience symptoms. So, so for, for an ultra endurance person to be able to tolerate 120 grams of carbs an hour, hour upon hour upon hour, when intensity is always changing as well, yeah. um, is, uh, you know, questionable. And then also like just logistics of, of, of having that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just is, is so variable. Um, definitely in Ironman athletes and things like that, Chrissy Wellington is a pro triathlete. She used to get 120 grams of carbs an hour in. So Right. Well, while we're talking about um, GI issues, gastrointestinal issues, uh, which is one of your areas of specialty and research, mm-hmm. what are some of the main causes then of GI distress during exercise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, it's tricky, lots of different factors, um, but basically when we exercise, as we know, um, there's kind of two main pathways that happen. Um, we get less blood flow to the gut, obviously more going to the muscles, and then we also get... Um, changes in our what we say is our neuroendocrine system so our sympathetic parasympathetic drive and so those changes can then go on to influence symptoms for 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 people just because with less blood flow to the gut we then it's going to get some injury to to the gut um increased permeability etc and then also with changes in our nervous system and how that's functioning we'll get changes to how well our body can digest and absorb nutrients. So our body just is not going to be functioning as well um, as what it is at rest because of those sort of two main pathways. And then really like, you know, when an individual comes up to me and says, you know, Steph, I'm having whatever symptoms they are, like severe nausea or vomiting or, you know, just severe cramping and abdominal pain, it's there's no way really that I can um, say, okay, yep, it's this um, because it's there's so many factors um, involved. Um, so that's where I guess we're lucky at the moment at Monash to be able to go through um, and do that testing. Yeah, I guess that in a nutshell, it's called um, exercise-induced gastrointestinal syndrome if anyone yeah. ever wants to look that up. But there's kind of those two main pathways, neuro, and then circulatory. Yeah. And as you say, they're sort of being compromised in quotes because the body is focusing on fueling the muscles. I guess also with the mechanics of running, you're bouncing up and down and jostling around a bit. That probably impacts it as well. Yeah, definitely. Yep. yep. You said there's injury to the gut. Is that something that then heals um, afterwards at rest? Yeah, yep. So it, it definitely um, does in majority. Um, obviously, people that take it to the next level, there's, you know, in minority of cases, there have been people that have ended up with, um, you know, colitis and part right. of things. But that's a minority. Um, generally, people will, um, that will recover. It'll just take a bit of time for that um, to to recover. And that's also, you know, why we need to consider, you um, their nutrition post those events and they yeah. may not be able to tolerate, you know, what something that they could at rest because their gut has gone through this um, challenging experience, I guess, and it's not able to 
absorb and digest as easily as it as it can normally at rest. So that's a good point then to talk about some recommendations of what to eat after an event because you've got to obviously take into account the state of your gut that you've just said plus you need to get some energy back into your body so the body can you know start to heal itself and recover so what what kind of things should people be looking at post event again it's going to obviously depend on their event how much and and things but um i would if if they have got you know, their gut has been compromised. Um, the ones that are going to be easier to tolerate um, mm-hmm. will be foods that what we call, and I know you would have heard of this, but foods that are lower in what we say are FODMAPs, which yeah. are just um, foods that are lower in fermentable types of carbohydrates. So um, FODMAPs stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides and polyols. Um Certain foods are high, like onion, garlic, you know, um, I won't go through all of that. Um, <clears throat> but choosing foods that are that are lower in um, in those carbohydrates, um, carbohydrate um, rich generally, lower in fiber, lower in bulk, again, just because it's going to be easier on the gut to tolerate. And then um, obviously some fluid as well. So some people, if they can't um, tolerate too much, it might be more so liquid nutrition is easier for them to get down. So an example could be as simple as a um, like a banana shake. And if we want it to be low FODMAP, we generally would, where we could switch to like a lactose-free type of milk or a, you know, rice milk sort of based option just for that post um, option. I'd try and get the dairy in though because we know so the lactose-free milk option because we know that's good for um, good for the gut and immune system yeah. as well. We've done some research in that just recently. Um, Isabella um, in our group has. Um, it could um, be if people can tolerate it, can be as simple as like a um, a wrap, you know, like a wrap with a banana or a muesli bar. But if they can't, then just try see if they can get something in small. So it might just be something like a a banana or a piece of bread and then just yeah. wait, you know, just wait until they can tolerate it because, I mean, there's no point in trying to force something in um, if you just can't get it in. Yeah, um, and if it makes you feel worse. Exactly. And I'd try and do like if they're not feeling too well, then just do small bits um, throughout rather than getting like I wouldn't try and get myself to sit down to this large meal if it's my body, if I'm just not yeah. feeling great. Because that's a lot for our gut to to digest. Um, so initially, just real easy stuff. Yeah. Um, and what about protein? Because when we do uh, most forms of exercise, actually, part of it is you're causing little, you know, stresses to the muscles, and protein is something that is needed to help repair that. So, what would you yeah. what would you recommend? Definitely, protein's great. So, I mean, that banana smoothie is an example of where you can get that protein in, like yep. milk and say yogurt and stuff. So, if people are meat eaters, then some of that eggs. Um, yeah, I'd always try and go for food first where I can in terms of of options, uh, just because as we know, you know, we get so much other nutrients from that. Um, but then if people just can't tolerate it or it's a convenience thing, um, then of course they, they may prefer to use something like a, you know, protein carbohydrate supplement, but we'd always then not want to overuse that. Um, but it's a perfectly fine option to, 
for those times where we just, you know, you struggle to get stuff in. You just, you need to get something easily in. Or Another thing that can be useful about that is the logistics sometimes with trail running races you might you know be stuck out somewhere in a paddock exactly. <laughs> to start somewhere in the bush and you know you can't really access much food so you can take some kind of protein shake or something with you exactly um, yeah and people can make that themselves too right you know yeah. they can do that really easily skim milk powder and some maltodextrin um put in their own flavor so um, you know, people worried about expense and those types of things. It's it's something that they could make at a probably a reduced cost. Since we're talking about endurance running, this is an opportune moment to let you know that on my website, I have a books page where I recommend wellbeing books. There you can read my review and purchase the books. I'll put a link in the show notes. Check out my review of The Rise of the Ultra Runners, A Journey to the Edge of Human Endurance by Adharanand Finn. Finn immerses himself in the sport of ultra running. It's a riveting read, plus a real insight into that world. The back blurb on the book says, Through encounters with the sport's many colourful characters and his experiences of its soaring highs and crushing lows, Finn offers an unforgettable insight into what can be found at the boundaries of human endeavour. I couldn't put it better myself. I really, really enjoyed this book. So we've touched on uh, protein. What about fat? Is there a need to to eat fats? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like in our overall diet, for sure. Um, we know fats are good for so many things, for cardiovascular health, for joint health. Ideally choosing, um, you know, the fats that we get from avocados, seeds, nuts, grains, um, where we can fish, etc., is the ideal. Um, nothing wrong with getting in some um, other fats as yeah. well after you've just, you know, worked your butt off. Hydration is something we haven't really talked about, and and you know, you could do a whole episode on hydration. So, I just want to touch on it briefly. Um, can you just give us some tips on endurance athletes should approach hydration? Um, how much should they drink and things like that? Yeah, sure. You always want to start your race you um, hydrated uh, where we can. So what that means is um, basically where our body is in a hydrated state. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. Um, just, um, again, helping prevent risk of gut issues, mm-hmm. um, but also thermoregulation, so how well our body, you know, manages the temperature. So that's what I'd be trying to do. How can you check that? It can be tricky as a general overall guide. Um, you can check perhaps for some people the colour of their urine, mm-hmm. but obviously we know supplements and things like that can impact that. So then you can also check um, a bit more on your your chronic weight change and if that's changed significantly, then that's obviously an indicator that if it's going down a lot, we could be be dehydration. So um, check check that, start your event hydrated and then how much to drink during is like a tricky question. Um, There's no easy answer. There's a lot of debate um, around that area in terms of do we go according to a plan, do we go um, to help according to thirst or to prevent thirst. Overall, um, according to ad lib, can work quite well for many. Um, 
However, there are individuals and we have definitely seen it that just are not good at reading um, their need. Um, and for those people, um, they may need to be a little bit more like planned. Mm-hmm. I would always encourage people though with anyone I work with to try and just get some ranges of an idea of roughly what we lose. So I get them to go out and do an easy run, maybe in a cool environment, then maybe in hotter, and then um, at race pace. Um, and I get them to record it on an Excel sheet just to start to get familiar with maybe roughly where they may be sitting at. And that's not then to say to them that you now need to replace 100% of that every hour. But then we think about, okay, well, am I running in a cool event or am I running in a hot event? If I'm running in a hot event, then obviously I need to try and get a little bit higher of whatever I may lose, maybe 50 to 60% of roughly what I lose in cool. And then if it's hot, maybe 80% of okay. what I lose. But, that's a, it's it's a guide. It's it is really tricky, and as we know in ultras, the terrain, the temperature changes. So what we lose hour upon hour is always changing. So it's very tough for then someone if they're planned and they're then getting eight hundred mils every hour upon hour, but then that race is getting cooler and they're slowing down, and then we keep getting that in. Then that's a risk of us overhydrating. Yeah. What's your personal approach to hydration? What do you do? I generally will do um, find out roughly what I do lose as a range, but generally I do go drinking according to thirst. But in saying that, if I'm getting in a certain amount of carbohydrate, um, I do need to get in a certain amount of fluid with that because otherwise if I'm getting, let's say I'm getting 60 grams of carbs in an hour, and I'm only getting 100 mils of fluid, and I'm doing that hour upon hour, then that carb's just going to be sitting in my gut. So it it actually that fluid message I find can then, if people do say just drink according to thirst, I find some people then could get into trouble if they're getting in a heap of carb and they're drinking according to thirst is quite low. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think what's coming through loud and clear is that you really need to practice it, don't you? You need to practice it. You need to think about what you're getting in carb-wise per hour um, and then just know that it can vary. I think our body's usually generally pretty good at Yeah, look, I, um, I plan my carb intake in a race but I just leave my hydration up to how I feel and you know touch wood so far that's been fine when you're racing what's your preferred fuel do you take on gels or drinks or how do you what do you like to do yeah uh I used to do a lot of um gels when I raced just a lot of sweet stuff which then sometimes could definitely get me caught out um I would often quench um, often fluids more so sometimes mm-hmm. than the gels as well. So I, I then did a bit more of a mix of um, carbohydrate-based, you know, liquids, and then I would do some some gels. But then I started to get into the solids, particularly for the longer racing. So yeah. if I was doing like a fifty k race, then I'd just keep it real simple, um, like gels or lollies, and and drink because I'd going at a faster pace and and things. Um, but a 100K event where we know flavour fatigue is 
much more common. I tend to put in things like some ginger options just to help with flavour fatigue. Yeah. And nausea. Um, so whether it be ginger biscuits, even ginger beer or ginger lollies. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'd do wraps um, just because for me I was doing lower FODMAP stuff too, so wraps were better than bread. Yep. Um, and make some of those savoury, some sweet, so it might be Vegemite wraps or jam wraps. Um, bars, chocolate bars, little chocolate mini boosts and stuff, just psychology. Yep. So for anyone, like, there's no right or wrong answer. You go with, you get them to practice that in training. Um, often what I see athletes that I work with, we tend to do a bit of alternating. Um, might be sweet, savoury, sweet, savoury. Yeah. Might start one way and then and then the other. I always also try and give, if it's a long event, we'll have a bit of sort of gut rest opportunities as well. So it might be a few hours of more solid base, but then hour or two of more liquid base. Flavour fatigue is a real thing, isn't it? You, yes. Uh, the thought of having your 10th gel makes you want to <laughs> gag, I think. <laughs> yeah. And as you know, like there's so many different like gels. So there's definitely sweeter based ones and then there's more liquid based ones. So yeah. I generally recommend people to try and go for the more liquid based, less sweet options um, for long duration events. Yeah. They're easier to get down they as are. well. They're not quite as gluggy. As I said, it You've got to practice this in your training because um, it's an important thing to get right. So, Steph, thank you so much. And I'd like to ask you my final question that I ask all the guests. If you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? Good one. And I actually, um, you, you have put me on the spot here because I haven't thought. I would say to get out in in nature, um, get fresh air. If you're not a runner, that's fine. Just get out and walk. Um, I yeah. find getting out in nature is just, you know, listening to the water or seeing the greenery, um, being able to say hello to people in the mornings and just smiling um, is a great way that I love to start my day. And if you have a little dog, like I take him for a walk and, and it's just, yeah, it's it's so amazing and and eat eat well because um you know and it's not to say that you, you're not to enjoy foods that are you know foods that we may need to eat less often enjoy that as well enjoy it in your social occasions but eating well has such a big impact on our mental health as well and and also as a runner obviously to to fuel yeah they would probably be my two key ones so if anyone would like to contact Steph what's the best way to do that Steph yep uh so they can contact me through nutrition strategies so details are on our website there um or just do Steph at nutritionstrategies.com yeah perfect Mm. I'll put a link Mm -hmm. okay great thank you so much Steph awesome pleasure thanks for having me And that was endurance athlete and sports dietitian Steph Gaskell. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you would like to subscribe to my podcast, Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, you can do so on YouTube or on your favourite podcast app. And there are so many of them like iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Also, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website, which is at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. So please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I'll do my best to deliver that to you.
Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution, you can do so via Patreon. That will help us ensure that we continue to provide you with excellent content. To find Patreon, just visit the Contribute page on my website. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.